0: all right everybody welcome back to conviction gaming this is our first official podcast of not only 2020 but of conviction gaming the the our our brewing cast company however you want to call it our community we are getting this live and we're really excited i'm joined by jesus garcia we've done a couple of casts more on just a a kind of informal basis they never ended up getting posted we do have those recorded somewhere but we ended up deciding to kind of wait until the new year to to kick this thing off and here we are jesus thanks for joining me welcome back happy new year
1: happy new year bud I'm. Um- really excited about today's topic though so let's move on because this is something that i just love discussing Yeah, you
0: brought this up to me just a couple of days ago uh, or well i guess it was probably about a week ago and i put out the ideas for our first cast what people would like to listen to we got this cast going with the plan of started with an idea of doing some type of an informal informational type of a a, a cast and and then from there we narrowed it down, and and your idea one one of the ideas that I put into the vote was your idea of all things foil, putting that in quotes. And so I, I've put an agenda together. It's out here in our cast live discussion channel. You can take a look at it. To look, take a look back at that. It'll also be posted with this cast once we get it out there and edited. But we're going to be talking a little bit about just the history of foils with Mad- Magic the Gathering. I think this will be a really informational cast, particularly if you're newer to Magic. It'll also hopefully have some insights into some things you may or may not have known, uh, particularly about like cleaning foils and how to do that. I have a little bit of experience on that. And uh, we're going to cover that for about 45 minutes, and then we'll wrap it up with a quick spoiler recap on some of what we've seen out of Theros Beyond Death. So we've got a loaded, a loaded schedule here. Let's go ahead and get started. The first topic I want to talk about just to kind of get us flowing, kind of kick this off is is just a little like three to five minute intro about the history of foiling within the Magic the Gathering trading card game. Foiling started in the Urza's block, actually. It goes, it goes back quite a ways, back into the mid-90s with Urza's legacy. And the foiling process back then was by a lot of, I, I think, a lot of kind of Older, old-school players' beliefs, it's really the best foil that you can find. The quality of, of those foils from the Urza's block up through actually all the way up till eighth edition the, the foil quality was just tremendous they they did a, a great job back then with the blackboarded foiling they had this little star that goes through they being wizards put a little star that goes through the bottom left corner and i'm actually holding a a, a foil from the invasion block right now in front of me it's a card called twilight's call and just looking at it and, and comparing it to a newer foil from revnica allegiance and the, they're just there's so much more of a crispness to the older foil, especially if you're holding it, it, it just feels great. So anyway, that's a little bit of, of about when the foiling process started. It was way back in Urza's legacy. And the foiling process itself changed in 8th edition. You might have heard me mention that. In fact, they, they didn't just change it. Wizards didn't just change it in 8th edition, but they also started to kind of innovate it, for lack of a better term. And they did things like from the vault products where they took... a a whole new foiling or a whole new approach to foiling and made the cards a little bit glossier and a little bit more um, definitely a little heavier the the from if you've ever held a from the vault card they are actually heavier by uh, you know fractional grams I I don't know how much the difference is it's it's minuscule but it is noticeable to the touch and that's because of the way that they foiled those uh,
1: differently from the kind of average
0: magic card.
1: Going on about that, um, there's also the foils, uh, newer foils, such as uh, the commander foils, as well as the foils from newer sets, such as Ravnica Allegiance, Dominaria. I've, I've noticed, as they went pretty much post-Kaladesh, uh, those foils are noticeably thinner. Uh, in, an, in an attempt to try to make them more equal weight to the average card. As, you know, when shuffling a deck that's like half foils, half non-foils, at least for me, it's quite noticeable. I agree. So, and and if you if you were to read around and look
0: up, you know, some history, I I was doing a little bit of research on things like MTG Wiki and other forums and things like that that have you know folks that have covered this in the past, just to get a little more experience and, and information to be able to share and and actually it's funny you brought up shuffling because that was a cons- one of the consistent kind of i'll call it quality i don't know if it's an issue per se but quality differences between a foil and a non-foil card is that if you have a half and half split on a 60 card or even a 100 card edh deck and you know half foil half non when you're shuffling particularly if you're only single sleeving you can really notice a difference and and actually you know oftentimes tell whether that card is foil or non-foil, without actually looking at the card, with just looking at the back and holding it, um, and and that did come up. It's it's a big reason, actually, why, uh, speculatively speaking, but it's a, it's a big reason why many players who participate in competitive play prefer non-foils. There, there's a risk to curling, which we're going to talk a little bit about. We're actually going to spend a lot of time about warping and curling and how to protect against that, but. The, the risk of curling and, and kind of marking cards because of them being foil is real and getting called on that accordingly by judges, you know, that, that's a real thing. So
1: I was going to say, so going off of that, um, let's move. We can move on to the next topic now. That's part of the reason why some people even want foils. Um, the heavier shuffle feel actually feels nicer if people are more used to like playing cards the visual appeal in the different foiling processes throughout the years In older sets it was only the border that was foiled for example or newer ones the entire card is foiled uh how they go about foiling them out per card it's just every little thing about choosing between foil and non-foil and even what year of foil you get is all up to personal preference
0: So, lots to cover there. Um, Just to start and break it down, you mentioned the difference between the older foils, the the Urza's Legacy through uh, 8th Edition. 8th Edition was actually done with the new foiling process, but until then, it was exactly what you just described, where the art itself is not foiled on old cards. It looks foiled kind of, if you like... Quickly glance at an older card that's foil. It looks like the art is foil just because of the way that the design was done, and they they foil the border all the way around the card. But the truth is, the text box and the art themselves are not actually in foil. I, I'm just sitting here with a flashlight looking at one right now. Just you know, it's 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 kind of amazing when you click gl- quick glance at these older designs, how it, it you know your eyes almost play a trick on you and they look entirely foiled. Um, but then, when you look at it with a flashlight or kind of you know closer up under some light, you can see the difference of exactly what you just described.
1: Yeah, and sometimes that visual appeal is what people like. Uh, sometimes people like it. Like me, I like foils because they're slightly heavier. I'm used to Yu Gi Oh cards, which are smaller but thicker. Uh, back when I used to play a lot of Yu Gi Oh, I also am used to playing cards because I play a lot of card games with my family during the holidays. So. And those are notably thicker as well. So me, I usually go for like the thickest sleeves on the market. I like foiling out a deck. So then that way it just feels better to shuffle.
0: I hadn't even thought about that. I grew up playing a lot of, you know, family poker type games and stuff like that. And not poker itself, but you know, various uh, card games as well. Like you said, over the holidays and and really just every family get together. And I never really thought about that until you mentioned it, but you're right. It, it's I've I've naturally polarized two foils as I've gotten, You know more experience in the magic, in collecting magic and playing magic, and I know I guess I never realized why, besides the visual appeal. But I think you're right. I enjoy shuffling foils. I think they are. It's just an easier experience. There's less give to it. So when you're shuffling, it's a little bit easier to, you know, whether you're you're doing a bridge or or just regular shuffling. However you do shuffle, it does feel a little bit easier now that I think about it. So. We got a comment here too by Crowberry, and I think this is really relevant. He he mentioned that LSV Luis Scott Vargas, one of you know, probably one of the most famous magic players of all time, has said in the past how it's all foil or no foil. You know, we were alluding to the idea of in in competitive play, if you're going to have a deck with foils, it it is likely more recommended to have them all foiled than have, you know, only a few. And the reason for that is exactly what we're talking about. You're, you're otherwise putting yourself at risk for things like being called for a marked card or, you know, using the weight to be able to kind of identify the card you need. You know, maybe you want to weight your Urza copies because, you know, Urza is your win con. And so you have Urza and foil and everything else and non. Uh, There's a lot of risk to to doing that in terms of competitive play and being called by your opponent and and ultimately by a judge.
1: And another little extension off of that is that also, even outside of competitive play, you and I were commander players, so we're not exactly very competitive in nature. It's just, if you shuffle a deck that's only partially foil, sadly how my Brea is right now, Um, it's also very easy to lose grip because of the shifting weight of the deck so like if you have like smooth sleeves it's it i found out that's much more prone to just sliding hence why i've switched over to more matte sleeves but i still run into this issue
0: i have the same pro- i have matte dragon shield matte sleeves with my nimizit perun deck which is i don't know maybe like a third foil roughly not maybe not quite that much but yeah you know it's I, i'm always dropping that so it's kind of funny you say that so we've talked a little bit about the history of of foils and and hopefully everyone kind of understands you know this this line between the pre 8th edition and and post 8th edition foiling process you you we've kind of touched on a few different things you mentioned the the foil on the border as opposed to the actual art on the older copies post 8th edition you you will see art that's foiled out and I, i i honestly believe that the newer foiling process in a lot of ways is is prettier when it comes to the art itself because you can if you have great art which magic i mean my gosh magic has so much amazing art it's it's i don't even know where to start with that but there's so much great art in magic and when you put that foiling on top of it sometimes those color schemes and the vibrance of it are just absolutely gorgeous and and you and i both prefer foils i think when it comes to you know especially with those type of cards uh gift of orzo Orzo, orzov i think it was orzov orzova yeah you're right gift of orzova that's what i I knew that wasn't right i knew it was orzov but orzova was the gift of orzova if you've never seen that card in foil do yourself a favor and, and look it up it's it's absolutely gorgeous in foil i have a bunch of copies i acquired a collection one time and actually there was a bunch of copies um, it, it was the like the pet card for that person that I bought from. Um, so I have I have probably about six place sets of foils of that card. Uh, and I've sold a bunch of them, but I've, I've kept one for myself just because of the art, just because of how pretty it looks.
1: Um, another thing is sometimes it's even the lack of color in certain foils, that foiling effect, the rainbow shimmer behind it. Sometimes it really makes all the other, other colors within the art pop. So like... I think one of the best examples of this is the Sliver Overlord from the uh, from the new Secret Layer. Hundred percent. It's I'm on the same page as you. Absolutely. It's the pastels which normally don't pop out much with the dark uh, with the dark outlines, and then there are areas that are just completely blank. But that blank allows the foil to come through and actually pop out those pastel colors that watercolor look to make the deck well to make the card look that much more captivating
0: the ur the dragon from the same kaleidoscope killers secret layer drop actually has a very similar feel to it i, I think they might even be by the same art- artist jamie jones i want to say
1: all three are the same artist including the uh, reaper king
0: Right, and and so yeah, I, I have the Ur Dragon. Obviously, I'm sure you're not surprised by that, but not I have the Ur Dragon. And I, I'm sorry, I said Jamie Jones. It's Justine Jones. Uh, the the art that Justine put out on all three of those cards is tremendous. And you're right, the the foiling effect on it just added to the to the the vibrance in the Ur Dragon. And then to your point with the Sil- Silver Overlord, it isn't the color scheme wasn't or the color palette. Wasn't as vibrant, but you're right, the pastels come to, to life underneath that rainbow foiling process. So if you've never seen those on video, actually, you can check out Chicago Style Gaming, which is my store. Uh, I, I actually took a video of the Ur-Dragon in foil a little while back. I, I could always post the silver overlord just to, to, so folks can see it if you haven't seen it already.
1: Alright, we kind of settled on this topic a little much. Let's move over a bit to cleaning foils. You mentioned it earlier. Now, I have ran into a few issues with my foils getting dirty, and luckily, nothing particularly too bad, just something I can clean off with a dry, like, glasses cloth, but I know you've had more issue with that, so I kind of want to pass that off to you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So cleaning foils is a topic I, I put 10 minutes on this one as an estimate. I, I would love to spend time on this because I, I think this is really important. And I and I do want to also talk about like the warping and, and how to protect against that. I think both of us have plenty to share on that. So I'll start with cleaning foils. And then we'll talk about warping as well. The cleaning so to start with, cleaning a foil, it's like you might be asking yourself, like cleaning a magic card in general. Do I should I do that or do I do that? It's it, it comes with risk, obviously. So I'd never recommend doing this if you have a near mint copy. But then again, why would you necessarily need to clean it if it's near mint already? the 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 way this really comes into play is if you get a card, like if you go out and you buy a foil that's considered moderately played, or you know even even in a heavily played state, state. And you want to see if you can at least kind of buff out some of the shine and get a little bit more of that foil back. There are methods and techniques that you can use to do that without necessarily further damaging the card, especially if it's like a moderate or heavily heavily played. You're you're probably already talking about pretty, you know, significant clouding or or border wear. Uh, and I, I've actually seen a video by this that, that where I got inspired to kind of learn more technique about this myself was a video by. An individual on Twitter the proxy guy the tweet posted had it was probably about six or seven tweets long and it started with a video where the proxy guy was working on cleaning up a foil and talked through what that process looked like using uh, basically like a, a damp like not even a damp rag like a very very lightly moisturized, almost like a screen wipe that you would use on like your monitor, your computer monitor, for example, and, and basically talk through that process. And so I'm not going to necessarily go into that in detail, but if you're looking for that, I believe you can go out and find the proxy guy on Twitter. And I want to say it's pinned to the top of their, um, to the top of their it's not pinned there anymore. It used to be pinned on the proxy guys uh, on the top of the the Twitter profile. If you went the in page. there, it was the first thing yeah. you'd see. Yeah, I don't see it there anymore. But I also think you can find these on YouTube. So, so let's talk about the technique here. So I've done this a few. I, I basically only will try to clean a a foil up if I see clouding that would grade it to like a moderately played or worse condition because I don't really if it's lightly played or better I don't really want to take the risk of going further you know damaging the card and going further down that spectrum but if it is moderately played and you have a little bit of clouding take a wipe that you would see that that you would typically just like I said use on your computer monitor and gently you basically gently in, in a clockwise counterclockwise motion work through the car, but you want to do it on a very flat surface, and not like a kitchen table made out of wood that might have any creases or anything like that. Something that is as flat as can be aluminum or, or marble or, you know, if you, if you have an island in your kitchen that's made out of some type of a stone that's got, you know, flat when you're going along it. And the reason for that is because while you're cleaning the top, if it's not perfectly flat on the bottom, you can damage the back of the card actually pretty significantly, if you don't, if you're not careful. So that being said, if you have that flat surface and you've got your wipe on that, you would use uh, like a computer screen wipe, for example, very gently in, in like a counterclockwise or clockwise motion, you work through the card, you know, top to bottom, avoid hitting the edges for two reasons. The first is because of the moisture, the moisture can immediately seep into the corners of the card where the, where the the white edges that you would normally see if you're looking at like a card, kind of like from a you know from a side angle as opposed to facing it. Uh, don't touch those sides with the white because that water can immediately damage it further and 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 actually turn it from moderately played very quickly to a damaged card. But staying on the foiling process, the front of the card itself, if you're very if you're very atten- or uh, very precise with that and work through it, you will notice a an increase from cloudiness to uh, less cloudy, I guess, to a little more shine. If you, and, and it might take two or three passes. Uh, the one other thing is you'll wanna use like a piece of tissue paper to da- to just gently touch the top of the foil, top of the card, touch it up and make sure that that moisture isn't sitting there and, and residing on the card for any length of time. So in between wiping it down with, your, with the counterclockwise or clockwise motion, I would recommend taking a tissue right behind that and and cleaning off any sort of leftover moisture that you can see on the card.
1: So we actually got a question right now on the discussion chat uh, asking if it's okay to use a playmat under uh, un- well, under the card and said flat surface.
0: It's a great question. i You know, I could actually see a playmat being okay because it's a softer it's a flat but softer surface, so you'd have a little bit of give. The only problem with a play mat, that i imagine would come into play is that you won't be able to put enough pressure on the card itself to actually get some of those spots in the clouding out so clouding itself typically happens because a card has it's one of two reasons the the reason the, the first reason would be that the card has been rubbing up against other cards for a period of time and it's da- it's basically damaged the front you know the front piece of the the card where the foiling layer is at and and so when that happens you're not going to be able to repair those scenarios. And those often also are, are more visibly showing scratches, right? So if you see scratches with clouding, probably not going to be able to fix it. But if you have the second reason, which is clouding from just general, it, it could be two things. It could be age, or it could also just be that it was in like a dusty sleeve for a long time. Those are, are things that can be cleaned up by this method. And I think a playmat could work if it's a lighter amount of clouding. I think generally speaking you're going to want to stick to a, a hard surface though.
1: Well, I use oh whenever I end up cleaning off uh clouding sleeves, well, cloud not clouding sleeves, clouding foils. Um I usually use those microfiber cloths I use for my glasses. Like those fresh are out perfect. Of the wa- fresh out of the wash, uh, I wipe them down on my on my granite countertop a, a, a pop of a paper towel. And that usually works fine. I'm just don't since I buy all my cards new, uh, like lightly played, moderately played, I don't really have to worry too much about putting too much force to keep them clean. I haven't really had to deal with older foils yet, so it's nice. That's nice to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I typically am like you when I'm buying for my own collection. It's um, if I'm buying a foil, I. I, I'll pay a little bit of a premium even to make sure that I'm getting from a trusted vendor, you know, something uh, more of a near mint, mint type of a card. Uh, but with the store with Chicago style gaming and, and buying collections, I've seen, I've seen a lot of cards come through that are not in that condition. and And that's where I've, Of practice this technique because there have actually been times I don't do this frequently, so let me just clarify this really quick. Uh, clarify this point that this isn't something you should do like regularly. I also don't recommend doing this more than once on any given card because of the risk of the water damage. But that being said, I do, I this is something I have done before, and I've seen scenarios where a card that started out at let's say moderately played or even heavily played when cleaned well has come back as a lightly played copy. And so, you know, if you're in the if you're in the business of of trading trading cards and selling cards, specific, probably more specifically selling cards uh, in that foil arena, this having this skill down can can often be the difference between a couple of dollars on the value of the card, you know, longer term. A brand that I use it's a screen a screen saver uh, wipe, it's called Koala cloth. And that's actually what I've had a lot of success with. It's not even wet. like, I don't even have to get it wet. It's uh, it's, I don't know what this material is exactly, but if you're, I'll put this in chat and, and, you know, kind of mention it in our summary and our notes, but take a look at koala cloth. These are that you don't even have to actually put them under the faucet or get them wet at all. They're, they're, they're dry and, and the material itself is able to kind of take that clouding off. Uh, we had one other question come in. This is, a, this is a great question for vendors who sell on TCG Player. The question is from Biospark 88. My question, I uh, <laughs> almost read it verbatim. It's The question is basically, will this technique work to get a lightly scuffed foil into a direct near mint status? I don't, I, I'm going to be honest. I've never tried to use this technique on anything above moderately played. And the reason for that, I Biospark, you might've missed this, but just to kind of really quickly recap it. We, if if you're lightly played or better, I typically just kind of eat it and stay at lightly lightly played. I don't try to get aggressive and greedy and go for near mint. And, and to your point about this, I, I would be fearful that if you're not necessarily a direct near mint foil, but you might maybe be able to get by as just a near mint foil, I would just go that route and not risk damaging it more and it becoming like lightly played or actually even worse. It, you know, that's that's the scenario that can happen because if you are using any amount of moisture and you get it onto the edges where the where that white border runs around, you can actually damage the card to the point where it's not even in a quote unquote played condition. It would have to be listed as damaged. Jesus thank you for posting that. This is exactly the right cloth. Uh, I just posted a link on Amazon. You can. It looks like you can get a. Six-pack of these for $10, the Koala cloth microfiber, excuse me, microfiber cleaning cloth. So yeah, we'll put that in the
1: notes. But yeah, considering we're talking about damaged cards, foils can... I, I want to get to warping, because I think this is the biggest issue uh, that people are, have been having lately with foils, considering my god, the quality like up to Kaladesh, post-Kaladesh, no, even before that, uh, Eldritch Moon post eldritch moon foils,
0: warping has been a real issue <sighs> and and we saw this so i'm glad we're going to talk about this well let's pivot over to this topic for sure because this is another one i only put five minutes and i could probably get on a soapbox and talk about this for an hour i was really upset with the quality of secret layer the, the cards were warping in in some cases out of the box they were warped and in other cases I think, you know, kind of an infamous story that I've told people and a lot of folks have heard is I sold a secret layer card. I, I got it on a, a Saturday. The delivery came from Wizards. And I, I bought a whole bu- I, I bought the bundle itself. So I got all seven of the drops. And I immediately flipped those and sold them into Chicago Sala inventory on Monday morning. So I had cards listed over the weekend and selling and, and shipping on Monday morning. And one of my buyers ended up getting the card within, I don't know, three days, really quick shipping. Like it was, you know, all things were great, but they messaged me and told me that the card had already warped and curled. And I, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I can't, I I can't even believe that. And then, so what did I do? I go back and I look at some of the other foils that I still had in inventory from secret layer. And of course they were also warping. They were in top loaders, in penny sleeves, in perfect fits. And they were warping all of them to the point where the top lower themselves, the top lowers themselves, were curling.
1: I actually, I had a very similar issue with um, my what was it? I had all of my what's called. I had all of my uh, serum visions from the bundle. Well, from the seeing visions bundle, in the dragon shield resealable inner sleeves, in a dragon shield matte sleeve. Put into my binder a binder, so they... <laughs> so they, didn't, they weren't in a top loader, but they were in my binder, right, so they had extra pressure on them, most likely. yeah, and like I keep my, I literally keep my binder under my deck boxes, so then that way those cards stay flat. even then, I well, when you mentioned your story, I'm like, well, mine are kind of fine. Let me check them though, despite having it being in my binder, which is one of those. Uh, Ultimate Guard Zip zip Binders, so it's one that you can actually compress under my massive deck boxes. It was still curled when I pulled it out. Unreal, yeah. So I'm just staying here with four cards, noticeably curled, that I had to shove in top loaders back into the binder and pray they flattened out a bit. It was awful. It is. And it
0: is awful because, you know, those are
1: coming out of the box. It's not like they're
0: played. It's not like we live in, you know, in this extremely humid climate up here in Chicago. And it, it, it is a bummer. I, I I was not happy with it. And long story short, I, I talked to Wizard Support. And, you know, I, I think in in general, this is just what we're going to have to come to expect in the foiling arena, because the the quality. The the quality of the cardstock itself, it's kind of a give and take, right? You made this point earlier when we were talking where you said that they've made them thinner. They've made card, I think in general, they've made the cardstock thinner, it feels like. And the, the foils themselves have also become a little bit lighter. You know, they're they're I think closer today's foils, if you were to pick up a card from like let's say Throne of Eldraine, and I'm talking pack cards, so not the collector boosters those those do go into a whole different arena but those also curl by the way but the if you just took a pack foil and put it next to the regular one and held those they are a lot i think a cl- lot closer in weight than if you were to take like an invasion card and put it side by side foil and non the invasion foil is going to be heavier than the non and, and noticeably so that card stock difference the the quality in that seems to be making an an impact to foils and We've seen this with the commander sets. It really seems the supplemental sets are getting impacted by it more heavily even than the standard sets that are coming out. I'm thinking back to Commander 2017 with Kess Dissident Mage, which came out and and people were opening their boxes and Kess was, a lot of people were buying the Wizards commander uh, deck just so they could get Kess because it was so good in Legacy at the time. And they would open their box and Kess would be so warped out of the box that they couldn't actually play it. And in fact, Legacy and Vintage had to have a kind of uniform ruling on Kess that you would you basically always proxied Kess if you were running it because it was so warped that it was unplayable. You literally couldn't sleeve it up and play it because it would look like a marked card. So I think it's the world we live in, unfortunately, and something we're gonna have to deal with. But that being said, there are some ways to basically mitigate i'm not going to say prevent because in a lot of cases you know we're seeing cards that just get warped just by virtue of being printed as foils but i think there are ways to mitigate warping you mentioned a couple of them keeping them in your binder we we talked about the the kind of resealable double sleeving using dragon shield which is a a phenomenal quality you can use ultra ultra pro sleeves as well something a little bit tighter to keep them down and then keeping them in the binder with weight on them I've heard a lot of techniques, right? There's other people that put them in textbooks. And I've actually, I think, you know, even talked to a couple people that sell magic cards and they avoid foils at all costs. But when foils come through their, you know, come through across their desk or whatever, they put them in through like a a, a binder, not a binder, I'm sorry, a textbook. They put them in the pages of a textbook and, you know, put a few in at a time just to keep them flat until they sell them. Uh, those are kind of dramatic and, and more severe scenarios. Uh, but but they are, it's the world we live in with these foils as they curl and as they warp through humidity and other, you know, other reasons.
1: Why foil cards warp, once you realize what what causes it, it makes it easier to just kind of figure out ways to prevent it on your own. To be frank, it's oxidizing. Oxidizing aluminum shrinks, thus... The foils kind of curl in the direction of the aluminum face rather than the cardboard face. My friends call it tacoing because they kind of curl up into a little taco. Um, so basically, you want to get as little air and as little humidity on the card as possible, or just keep it flat uh, in like a textbook, like you said, and then it won't have room to shrink. I was. It was funny. I posted my
0: story that I was just talking about on Twitter, and someone told me it sounds like it was a personal problem. And they basically were like, "You know, don't let your card touch the the outside air, and you won't have this problem." <laughs> and I just kind of laughed. It was like the world that we live in that we have to. A magic card basically can't be oxygenated in the slightest. If you if you let it touch oxygen, I guess I need to live on the moon to avoid this problem.
1: Yeah, so. and it's just kind of like going off of that uh, when dragon shield released their resealable inner sleeves i was ecstatic (laughs) as someone who was trying to foil out my brea deck uh just those are fantastic uh just put in the inner sleeve first because it's a sealable inner sleeve you have to squeeze all the air out of that before you even put it on the standard sleeve so it's a little more annoying but once it's done uh you saw my brea deck you saw the foils in there they they were pretty pristine, or at least as close to it as I could get. Uh, yeah, no, I and I use
0: it on. I use the same for my Ur dragon deck, and and they are in really good shape on there. So, so wrapping this up, let's jump to our last our last category for foils. We want to talk about just kind of the best types of foil and our favorite foils. I, you know, kind of summarize. I think a little bit more just about foils, and you know, I, I mentioned Gift of Orzova or Orzova. Um, I think we also, you know, might just have a couple. I have a couple of cards I want to mention more from like a, a speculative purpose as well that are in foil, and then we'll talk about thorough spoilers. Does that sound good? Yeah. We we did get a question in chat, and this is actually a really great question. Biospark asks, "What causes convex foil bend? Most foils bend concave." I had never even really thought about that, but you're right. I don't know that I've ever seen a foil
1: bend convex. I, now that I think I've about seen it. it. Maybe I twice, and it's only ever been with older foils. My theory on it is that older foils have the thicker foil layer, so it's thicker aluminum. Thus, uh, it gives it a little bit less room to bend, and it will bend towards the cardboard, as that will give way before the rest of the aluminum does.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know the science behind it, but I would imagine it starts with the the layering with the with the cardboard being behind the foil yeah. layer, so that's why it naturally bends towards the cardboard. Um, but yeah, that's a really, it's a, it's an interesting question. I I don't have a, I don't have a full scientific answer for it, but that, that would be my hypothesis is it has to do with the, you know, to, to the cardboard and the position. My theory,
1: is that's the thickness of the foil layer because each of the layers have different thicknesses, um, newer foils, how they kind of cave in towards the face of the card. The reason for that's because the foil layer is thinner than the actual cardboard itself. Thus, Hey, it will cave towards the. the side that's going to give away the easiest older foils very thick aluminum layer thus they're going to curl towards the side that gives
0: i think that's a good theory we would need a a print a print expert probably to to help us out with that further but yeah no i think your theory is probably uh, definitely definitely a really good educated guess or, or or even
1: probably on the right track if not right entirely but yeah, let's go on with the next topic, the best types of foil in our opinions. So go
0: yeah, you, you go ahead and start. I, I, I definitely have a couple of foils that I want to talk about that I, I love, but I want to start and hear, hear your so thoughts. So personally
1: here. speaking, I talk about how I value the shuffle feel of a foil as well on top of the visual appeal. Um, So I actually like leaning towards foils that are, naturally thicker these foils are the ones with a much heavier foiling process uh namely the european prints of the invocations and masterpieces from kaladesh and uh Amonkhet. as those are th- well not only those cards are slightly thicker uh they do not have foiling on the art itself. And you, well, only thing that really pops is the border. Um, Well, versus their U.S. counterparts, where the whole thing, including the art, is foiled. It's a slight difference, not very noticeable, but once you compare them side to side, it's something that you can start to pick up on. Uh, And then, other than that, I actually really like the old from the Vault foils, because, again, they're thicker, and once you know how to keep them flat, which is a big issue... (laughs) they are really nice to shuffle with. The shuffle feel on them is actually really solid.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you and I have almost exactly the same taste. Because I was going to say, I love the Mythic Edition foiling process. I think they did a wonderful job with those. I have not seen... I was pretty high on Mythic Editions last year when they came out, and I still have a few copies you know, for personal use. I I, I bought those and put them into inventory for Chicago Style Gaming, but of course bought a couple of them for myself as well. And... Those I have not seen any issues with curling at all. I store them the same way I store all my cards. And they, the, whatever foiling process they used on Mythic Edition, I don't know. I actually don't know if it was mirroring, you know, kind of the standard foiling process. If it, it was more. It's from the F- bolt
1: foiling. Oh, it's, so it's the, from the vault foiling process. So they use the thicker, the entire gloss front, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I thought I read that somewhere so that that confirms kind of what my hypothesis was. But yeah, I, it's funny you say from the vault because I actually really, really, I, I actually just got an Umazawa's jet in uh, inventory in stock from from the vault. I forget which FTV lore? it was from. but I think. I, was it it, yeah, that sounds right. I think it is lore. Yeah. So that I just got that in stock. Uh, it's probably been about a month ago now and I saw it come through and I hadn't seen one of those in actually quite a long, probably not since it was printed. It is... It is really, really nice. Like it, 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 the the feel and the touch, and you know, just just to hold. And and I I haven't shuffled it, I, but I imagine it's probably nice to shuffle as well.
1: Yeah, so. like um, two well, wh- two of my favorite foils uh, are the bitter blossom. Why well, the from the vault? No, not bitter blossom. The from the vault uh, beseech the queen and the uh, Ka- well, and the Kaladesh masterpiece warm coil engine and both those have fantastic shuffle feel in comparison to their non specialty print foils cuz those i th- at least want just the weight of them outside of a sleeve they're noticeably different they're noticeably thinner and it's just having those being slightly thicker they feel nicer to shuffle even in a sleeve the difference is noticeable on my part i also
0: i am partial to Urza's Legacy foils, which was the first foiling ever done, the first set with foils ever done. I, I do think those look wonderful as well. There's a card called Second Chance from Urza's Legacy. It's a reserve list card. It's an enchantment. Um, you can sac- I think it, I forget how it works. It's five. If you're less than five life, you can sacrifice, it and if you do, you take an extra turn, something like that. That card I have a foil copy of. I've had it for a very long time. And I, it's it's one of my personal favorite foils. I think they're, they're in general, they're they're just they pop nicely. And uh, Biospark just said they're all all pre-eight foils look the same. I agree. Um, I just have a partial love for Urza's Legacy, maybe because it's the first ones to ever have foil. Um, so I, I do like those as well. More more from a that's probably less from an aesthetic perspective and more just from a personal preference perspective
1: yeah actually a funny thing that you mentioned second chance because i actually picked up a copy very recently a foil copy for my personal collection as i'm going to be building a moldrotha deck
0: it goes in moldrotha so yeah it's it's ridiculous yeah i have i have a non-foil that if i ever i have a moldrotha and a second chance non-foil just sitting there like side by side in my personal binder so if i
1: ever build it that will be in there for sure no, I think we've come to an agreement that just that's our personal preference. I know one person who prefers the newer generation foils simply because of the... So, like, the um, Commander 2017, 2018, 2019 foils. Um, simply because of how the art looks. But then I saw his Kess. And that was just... Oh, it looked so bad. <laughs> Did, were the edge, the left and right edges touching yet? Uh, it, was, it <laughs> they, was. They they curl so. It was bad. close. I actually ended up passing off my cast to him because I made sure I kept that thing flat, and I ended up buying for Christmas. I bought him a set of Dragon Shield resealable inners just so then that wouldn't happen again.
0: <laughs> hopefully, it, hopefully it holds. I cast. I don't even. I, I think that would curl on the moon. No, mine actually t- was straight since i bought it i got lucky <laughs> i don't know yeah you must have got like a special card stock on yours i don't know all right but yeah well we're like right on schedule here this is awesome so let's jump to our final topic we've got about 15 minutes left which is exactly what i was hoping for this is i'm I'm very proud of us for staying on topic because i feel like we're both pretty passionate about foils. Oh, yeah. we've done a nice job here so let's talk a little bit about Theros Beyond Death spoilers. I, I actually just covered this in a in a podcast earlier this week on Monday. There's been a few cards that have um, ha- have been spoiled since then, but I'd love to get your take on on just the set as a whole. Um, you know, what, kind of what you were what you were talking about precast. You're, you're excited for the combo aspect. There's definitely combo from what we've seen so far in the spoilers. Um, but I'd love to get your take, it's Just you know, kind of take it away with what your thoughts are so far. So
1: I love the new direction involving um, bringing Graveyard Matters back to standard. But we're commander players here. We look for the legendary creatures and see what's well, what really pops to us. And in this set, really nothing as a commander. <laughs> All I see, I don't see any good commanders here except maybe, as you mentioned earlier, Pelucranos. Uh, everything else seems like a very solid support card for different types of playstyles, though. And in that sense, like in Dramatic Scepter decks, the... What was the name of the card sorcery? I mentioned it earlier. Um, Sweet Oblivion. That one is looks fantastic in any sort of infinite mana blue deck. Because then you just drop Lab Man and win the game. Uh, with the new Heliod, with... Um, What's it called? Walking Ballista? Just goes off immediately. It could also work with Triskelion. So then that can go in like a Black, White, Mike, and Trike deck. Yeah, and Spike Feeder, it also comes I up. I forgot that card existed. Um, Daxos is a fantastic support card for... Well, Daxos and er- the new Erebos are fantastic for um the... well, for like a Tasa deck. Abusing, entering the battlefield, dying, and then reanimating... I can see that just being really solid. The and then one of the cards that has me so hyped is mostly because of a deck I'm building. I'm I'm building Feld into the third path, and with an extremely high mana curve that that deck commands, Perforos Bronzeblood is a fantastic support card for any big stuff deck. Uh, at least that leans heavily on red or
0: artifacts. Perforos, so I'm most excited about Perforos, and and probably no surprise you you've played Commander with me, so you know I love cheating out or ram, ramping or cheating out big creatures, dragons particularly. But I, I have a dinosaur Gishat deck as well, and yeah, I'm very excited about um, about that uh, Perforos. I, I think the the idea of quote unquote sneak attack on a stick is just really cool. It's it's going to be. Pretty impressive. So I think and I actually think that card's gonna make some waves in standard as well, most likely. Hey, does this mean so. you're gonna put
1: a painter's servant in your Ur Dragon deck? <laughs> it's funny you said that because I,
0: I was literally as I was talking, I was just thinking like, Oh, wait a second, painter's servant, I can turn everything red. Hmm. No, but you know, I don't need to because I already run Mycosync Lattice, so I can turn everything into artifacts and it works. No, just because they're
1: not artif well, they're not artifacts until they hit the battlefield permanents are artifacts i don't know about otherwise all cards are considered colorless ah you're right you're right okay that won't work all (laughs) right well that's all right we'll we'll revisit
0: i'll revisit that offline but yeah no i i don't think it'll make its way into the dragon necessarily but it is a card that i'm excited to brew around and and you know just kind of going off my my favorite two strategies in in edh typically are ramp or you know basically big big stompy ramp type stuff. And and so, anyway, I think Perforos will make its way into at least one of my decks, for sure.
1: But yeah, I just... The way I see this is, like, I don't see any great commanders coming out of this set. Unlike, say, uh, previous sets, well, like, the last few sets, we saw notable commanders, like Torbran, and, uh, well, in uh, Eldraine, we saw notable commanders coming out from uh, the Ravnica block, such as Taysa. This set, I feel like it's just full of fantastic commander support cards. Idyllic Tutor's getting a reprint. Um, the new Ashiok is fantastic for any sort of mill strategy, as it generates blockers so you can control the board state. Even the Buy Box promo Ashiok looks solid for that sense. <laughs> it does, yeah. Or no, not you're. Promo. I, I... Yeah.
0: Give a little bit without talking about any individual cards so I, I shared this thought on Twitter a few days ago I was I think I posted this a couple days ago on the Chicago Style Gaming Twitter and I basically just said it's been refreshing to see Theros Beyond Death spoilers from the standpoint that I don't feel this urge to like have to go out and buy cards and build a and and you know like oh my gosh there's a new commander taste is coming out and I gotta buy like all these cards in reaction to Tesa, and and it's just a nice breather to to sit back and kind of enjoy some upgrades to decks as you've been talking about but without necessarily feeling this 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 need rush that's almost like heart yeah This like yeah need and rush to keep up with um we needed a breather Uh, 2019 we got so many in the edh community we got so many different legends to build around. We get war of the sparks. We had a million planeswalkers to work with. I mean, it was just, there was a lot to digest in 2019. And I don't think 2020 is going to slow down based on all the products that we've, you know, kind of gotten some teasers on from wizards. So it's exciting to just have this start to the new year, be a little bit more about like refining decks and, and, enjoying what we've got as opposed to looking forward to having to build a bunch of new decks and 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 you know the excitement around that i think the breather is going to be good for the community as a whole yeah because i
1: a big thing that the community has had is and community has been complaining about is this sort of um how do i say this with all the new new and new products especially in the adh community with all these really potent legendaries uh there's a distinct lack of support cards for all these new game plans so, this is nice. This is nice where you can just take a take a step back, swap out one or two, and then not have to worry about the deck.
0: Or or like you said, I, I don't like re, uh Tutor is getting the reprint. I mean, if you needed that card for a deck and you didn't want to pay, I don't know what it was going for, $30, $40 or something like that, you didn't want to pay for that, now you have an opportunity to go draft that or pick it up, you know, kind of secondhand as the prices kind of fall on that from being drafted in standard, it'll probably, I might see some play in standard, you know, as a fringe play tier two type thing, but that's the type of card that in standard, it's not going to make waves, but it's going to be opened a lot. So that new supply is going to help kind of crater that price and make it a lot more affordable for EDH players to pick up a copy that may not have been able to afford it or, or simply didn't want to pay. I, you know, that's the type of card, very similar arcane signet when it was $10. I just don't want to pay that type of price for a tutor to make my deck mildly better, you know, not like fractionally better even. Um, and so this is exciting. It's it, it, it is a good time to be an EDH player where we are getting a breather. I'll be very happy if the best legend ultimately spoiled is uh, the is that Sader that came out not long ago. The the two two for two gives other Saders haste and so on and so forth. If that's the best legend we get, I'd be or or um what was the one we were just talking about the golgari am i blanking out the hydra ukranos if that yeah if that if that one is if you know if those are like the best legends we get i'll be excited about that i I think it'd be good for i
1: fully agree like i don't think we'd really need any more potent legends especially considering going into this new year we're going to have up to 9 new commander decks, all the brawl decks coming out. We're going to ha- like we don't need all these insane commanders coming out in the core sets anymore. At least I don't think so if they're going to keep churning out content like they were doing at the tail end of this year. I think like just like how Josh put it, this is an upgrade set. This is a set where we go in and fine tune our decks and if all the sets going into this next year are just upgrade sets, and we get all these potent commanders and these pre-constructed products, I'll be satisfied with that. Because what yeah. we need right now as commander Holy. players are reprints, <laughs> reprints, or like budget replacements of that of cards. Idelic Tutor is just a great example
0: of that, you know. And and I agree, we're we're entering we're entering a time now where upgrading decks or even building, not even necessarily upgrading, but just building a deck that can hold its own. You know, if you're, if you're building certain decks and a card like Idolic tutor feels necessary, that's probably not a great example, but there are cards out there. We just got a mana uh, or a bloom tender reprint through the mystery booster. I really hope that card finds its, finds its way into something with more supply. Uh, But you know, like bloom tender is a great card in five color strategies and, Nobody wanted to pay, I myself included, I, I shouldn't say nobody. I'm sure there are people out there that are willing to, but the majority of people aren't gonna wanna pay $50 for a non-foil rare that kind of marginally adds value to a deck. It's actually a very good card. And and if that card's eight dollars, I think you're gonna see a lot of people who would have that and you'd be running you'd be running into more five color decks with Bloom Tender hitting the field than you do today. Um, so you're right. We 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 do need some supply for some of these old, you know, some of these cards that need reprints. Yeah,
1: like look at the new card that got spoiled, Nyx Lotus. I think if, like, say Nyx Lotus came out with original Theros and is no longer in print, I can see that card easily being in the fifteen twenty dollar range, just because it's so good for monocolored decks or high devotion decks, elves, uh, mono red such as goblins, or even mono black with uh, zombies. They would all want it but I would see that card just being in high demand, and thus people wouldn't pay for it.
0: So mark my words on this, that the foil extended art collector's booster version of Nick's Lotus is going to fetch a nice premium. That is a card. If you can get your hands on it. Yeah. If you can get your. I agree. Yeah. If you can find those cheap, I, I like Nick's Lotus quite a bit, actually. So, all right, let's wrap up. Let's let's wrap things up here. I wanted to share two cards that I've kind of got on my radar. They're both foils. We we were, you know, on the topic of our agenda. I did have a couple cards that are on my radar from like a price movement standpoint. And then I think we can just share some final thoughts and close this out. We're we're pretty much right at time here. So this is awesome. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to wrap up on the on Thero spoilers before I jump over?
1: Mm. No, just like Josh mentioned in the chat right now, uh, there are plenty of unsupported game plans with uh, and themes that need help or the help is just too expensive. And I think this Theros set is at least looking to be a step in the right direction with future sets. So I like that.
0: Yeah, same, same.
1: So, all right. The first card that I
0: wanted to talk about in terms of, Kind of like a, I don't know if I call it necessarily a speculative pick. It's it's just a card to consider and look at. Is more found the boundless the non-foil version of morophon was as low as about four or five dollars just just about two weeks ago and i know this because i had a bunch of them in stock that i was selling through all of a sudden i i was like this is weird all of a sudden i'm selling Morophons for i think it was about six dollars and it was all in one night i sold through i think i had eight copies listed and i sold all of them uh before i could even get into kind of like react to the price movement i was i was busy that day and Long story short, that card in nonfoil is now selling for north of $10. And actually in the TCG TCG direct market, I've seen sales come in as high as $17 for near mint. We've actually seen some of that in the conviction gaming sale reporting by some of the members of the, the community. So Morovan non-foils figure trending ten north of $10 at this point. But if you look at the foil, they are still in the low 20 to mid 20 range. And it's a card that so the, there's two reasons likely for the movement on the non-foils. The, the first reason is because there was a sliver deck in Modern, uh, I, specifically on Magic Online, that 5 about it was about 10 days ago now. I could dig up the link if anyone's curious on it. And it ran Morophon in the deck. So I believe that was kind of the initial trigger for why the movement happened. The secondary reason is because Morophon is kind of like the Muldratha of creature tribal decks. It allows you to build any tribe, essentially, that you want that may not have a legend, it may not have support for, or enough support for. And if you're willing to put Morophon as your commander, you can kind of build around it anyways. We had a Conviction Gaming member, Phil Allen, who started a Kraken deck with Morophon. And I I believe Phil's going to change off of Morophon because it wasn't necessarily jiving with the deck exactly. But that's just a great example of why Morophon itself is, you know, it's kind of just a versatile tribal card Long story short on this is I, I think this is in foil. These are, are worth considering. There's copies on TCG Player right now for about $23 pre-tax. Um, that does include shipping. It, it kind of ramps up fairly quickly after the first page. It starts to get north of $25 after that. But there's only five pages on TCG Player available in, in foil. And the Card Kingdom non-foil buy list, which is something we always pay attention to is just kind of the buy list prices on cards to if you monitor that, you know, just a quick tip for everyone. If you're if you're interested in getting into the kind of the finance side of magic, monitoring buy lists is extremely important because they indicate with these major retailers like a Card Kingdom or a Channel Fireball, for example, they indicate that those companies are having a hard time keeping these cards in stock. So their buy list prices will start increasing to keep those cards in because they're able to sell the cards at a markup of some sort. The reason I bring up Card Kingdom's buy list is because the Moro non-foil buy list is $5 now. That was that actually didn't even have a buy list price about three weeks ago, and it is now $5. But here's the kicker. The Moral Fund foil is going for $21 on Card Kingdom Buy lists, and you can buy them on TCG Player for roughly $23 to $25. So when that spread like that is that low, it, it signifies that there's probably what we call a correction, kind of coming to the price. And this this indicates that it basically indicates to me that if you're interested in a moral Found foil, whether it's for your collection, trade binder, etc. Now is a pretty good time to consider adding it because that non-foil price has gone up so much that the foils are naturally going to appreciate to to satisfy what we call as a multiplier. So anyway, that's the first one. Morophon, I think the I think the foil could probably get into the thirty dollar range, maybe even into the forty dollar range, pretty conservatively, and, and I would say that's possible here in the next few weeks as the as the remaining copies that are out there right now. Continue to kind of evaporate, evaporate, and and longer term, I could see this settling at thirty five, forty, and and maybe even higher, depending on how few copies re enter the market once the price starts to adjust. So, to recap, that you can get copies about twenty three dollars for non foil, twenty three to twenty five. I think that's a reasonable buy in. If you can find them even cheaper, that's great. Um, And I think that they're they're destined to be a thirty five or forty dollar card within the next month or so the other card that i think is really interesting and this is one that i this is this is like kind of a this is a stretch card that i found i was working on building a Barina zombie deck uh zombie tribal just kind of like throwing an idea around and i've always wanted a zombie deck Since I, honestly, since I was a kid, I wanted to build a zombie deck and I've never done it. I've never had a 60 card version, never had an EDH version. Um, So I started looking at cards that I could put into a zombie deck that would be unique and kind of, you know, outside the box type stuff. And a card I stumbled on from Invasion, which is a a set that I actually kind of started playing in and I, I vaguely remember this card at best, is a card called Twilight's Call. I put this in actionable uh, commander in conviction gaming on December 23rd twilight's call. It's, it's not a card that is necessarily like, wow, there's all of a sudden all this demand that you need to go out and buy a copy, but it's more of a uh, more of a card that's older from a foil standpoint, it's older and lesser known. And I suspect that it's, it's got potential to be one of those, Those older set foils that are kind of hard to find in general. So if you can find near mint copies of this for like $6 to $7, I I think this card's going to be a $10 plus near mint foil, surely because of lack of supply. I also think that this card is just really, really good. If in the right settings and it's very very underplayed in edh so anyway it's a card i wanted to put out there for for user you know users members of conviction gaming is something to look at if you run a deck that likes reanimation twilight's call is really good it, it actually could go into phil's kraken build because the kraken build would bring back all these creatures that have amazing enter the battlefield. Triggers and you can resolve a lot of those and kind of have a, almost one-sided Twilight's call by bouncing other people's cards when you're bou- when you're bringing back your Krakens. Um, he didn't want to go the reanimator route. So <laughs> uh, anyway, Twilight's call though that's that's the other card I picked up about three, uh, four copies, um, four foil copies, near mint, all uh, all in. My average cost was about six dollars. The reason I did that was the Card Kingdom virus price for the same foil was actually six dollars or is. Still, currently six dollars. So I felt protected by that, and uh, I plan on looking to sell these probably in the twelve to fifteen dollar range if they are truly near men.
1: In terms of cards that I've been looking at, I really don't have any. Currently, I don't have any idea on what would climb, as the modern landscape's been fluctuating a lot, fluctuating a lot, as well as I need to double a little more in Pioneer and Standard to really figure out what's going to be going on post well, once a new set comes out. In Commander, um, I've noticed a slight growth in graveyard-based strategies and graveyard-based decks, I think, in response to the um, release of the support cards within Thero- the new Theros block, or the new Theros set, my bad. Um, so I, th- I would keep in... An- I- not necessarily that I would say... Buy these now, but I would definitely keep an eye out for cards such as well with dredge, such as Golgari Thug, or um cards that care about your graveyard, such as the uh. Which one's the Kalidas which cares about exiling cards? Uh, Kalitas Trader of Get. That's what it is. When, I, whenever your opponent's creatures die, you make zombies.
0: That one has, you know, that's a great call, uh, Jesus. And Kalitas Trader of Get from Oath of the Gay Watch has, I. I i've always wanted to own a copy of that and i feel like since it rotated out of standard a few years ago it has been in like a 20 plus dollar card ever since yeah no it's it's crazy it needs a reprint so bad
1: for a while there when i um around when i started building brea it hovered at about 20 to 22 dollars so that was a few years back But it's been slowly creeping up, and the biggest spike I've seen it at was actually very recently with some of the reveals of Theros Beyond Death. So I do think it has some potential to climb, or to even spike, but I don't really think it's going to be anything massive, you know? Um, Yeah, I don't know that it'll be a huge... Yeah, I
0: agree. It's... To your point until it gets a reprint this is a card that's just going to keep climbing though so if you need copies there's there's probably basically no better time to buy them than the time that you need them uh, you know kind of right now so um, yeah i mean modern being kind of in the in the you know the backdrop behind pioneer and and also probably a little bit of excitement about standard again finally with oko gone and and theros coming out uh i I i suspect that modern cards right now still have a little bit of room maybe even a little room to fall i don't think they're going to rebound before the end of february and that's when we're going to start to see a pickup of modern support again there's there's quite a bit of modern uh gps magic fest coming out at that point so thank you everyone for tuning in great first cast of 2020 and and we did end up i I, spewing cards, but we both are. So apologize for going a little overtime. Appreciate you guys keeping us on topic and on time in the, in the chat here, and we'll get this edited and posted shortly. And, and again, thank you. Happy new year, everybody. And Jesus, thanks for joining me.